This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. Welcome everyone! Every PhD project has a story behind it. Today we explore one PhD project where the focus is on understanding the challenging journeys of novice runners as they begin running and develop running identities, and looking at this process from a phenomenological perspective. Yet as I have got to know the researcher behind this exciting research, I have realized that, as exciting as the research work is, the background journey is perhaps even more fascinating. I have the pleasure to discuss today with Jen Benson, a writer and an author of several guidebooks on adventures, running and walking. Jen is currently completing a PhD project at Liverpool John Moores University, and she has also recently published a book titled The Wild Year. And the book tells the story of how she and her family have spent a full year living in a tent in different parts of the UK. And while Jen has been very busy recently due to the book publication, we are fortunate that she has also found the time to visit the podcast today. Welcome to the podcast, Jen. It's such a pleasure and I've been looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Nora. It's lovely to be here. Thanks. Yeah, we got to know each other last year and so I've been really fortunate to follow your PhD project and be part of the team and we have had so many interesting conversations around running, identity, phenomenology in the past year. But as I've also got to know a little bit about your story and kind of what has led you to do this PhD work. I think it's really fascinating. And the most recent thing is this book that you published, as I mentioned in the intro, the title is The Wild Year. And as I love adventures myself, and I've mentioned to you that we often do trips with the camper van and really love the outdoors. I thought the book was so fascinating. I bought it right away. I got myself through a few chapters. And so since this is something really topical, you mentioned that it's officially out on Tuesday next week, as we are now discussing. It would be really lovely if you just share a bit of what this book is about, how you came to write it, and and then your story that obviously forms a big part of the book as well. Yeah, thanks. Um, and yeah, I hope you're enjoying reading it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, good. Um, yeah, so the story starts back in the spring of 2014. Um, it was quite a, a, a busy time for us. We just had uh, our, our second child, our son had just been born, um, and our first guidebook had just been published. So it was a really exciting time, but it was also quite a worrying time. I'd been on a, a fixed-term contract that had come to an end, and we discovered I wasn't eligible for maternity pay. So our income had halved and our outgoings, you know, we're still paying rent and all those associated bills and things. So we found ourselves in this position where 
I was at home with two small children. My husband was out at work. He could often leave before the kids woke up in the morning and get back once they were asleep. And I was in a state of exhaustion. (laughs) So we had this really kind of separate existence. And we were living for the weekends, but then the weekends would come and, and we didn't have any money to spend doing anything nice. So it was a really difficult time. And we had uh, a couple of months of this. And then when the summer arrived, we decided to go camping. I don't think I'd left the postcode for weeks and we were just desperate for an escape and to spend some time together. So we went up to the Peak District and, and spent a couple of weeks camping. And it was just like this two weeks of living this shared life that where we would share childcare. The kids got to spend time with their dad as well as me. Um, and I got to write and go running and all the things that I loved doing and hadn't been able to do because I was I was so busy. And it just felt like this this way of life that was so much more equal and so much more shared. And 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 yeah, we got to the last evening and kind of that looming return to to this really difficult way of living. And I was just lying there and I suddenly thought like could we live in a tent long for longer you know could we maybe do this as a bit of a challenge because before the kids had come along we'd done lots of endurance challenges and and that kind of thing and it was something we both missed a bit with having the kids yeah so I thought you know we've got lots of camping kit (laughs) could we live in a tent for longer and and maybe you know see if we can make our writing and photography sort of part-time work into our full-time work and and um, yeah, have a big adventure all together at the same time. Yeah, fascinating. And where I've got to the in the book so far, so you also mentioned that as you were preparing for this year in the wild, and you were kind of reading up on different adventure stories, but so nothing really exists on these kind of adventures. So the typical protagonist in an adventure story is a lone uh, male uh, adventurer that goes for who goes for a big challenge and and so the family is left behind and like these are very masculine and they have a very particular storyline, these adventure books that we have. And as a researcher of sport and movement cultures, I'm always interested in what are the stories that are available for people for thinking about what is possible and how you can live your life and how you can engage with adventures and sports. So I think your book is really kind of offering a different story. Can you maybe reflect on this a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I grew up reading all those amazing, you know, The White Spider and Joe Simpson's books and, you know, all these, as you say, lone white men going into the into the wilderness and, and, and doing all these amazing challenges. And then also came across stories like uh, Alison Hargreaves, who um, yeah, left her young children behind and, and sadly died on K2 and and Anne Daniels who's still around but again her her tales are very much polar explorations but leaving the children behind so it's it seems like the male stories the families didn't exist in within those stories and the 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 mother's stories are very few and far between and there's a lot of guilt and there's a lot of accusation and a lot of judgment and it's yeah so the the stories that do exist are very different if they're it seems if they're male or female so um yeah so that's quite interesting but yes I hadn't really found anything where anyone had taken on a challenge of this size and taken the kids along with them which is perhaps understandable <laughs> mm. yeah and what has been the response you mentioned that your families were supportive of this but when telling about this to other people who you don't know are they excited or are they 
considering it the quite extreme thing to do? Or what's the response you get when you discuss with people and share this? I think before they know the full story, it's always a bit like that's completely crazy. But yeah, I've had some interesting responses saying, well, perhaps it's less crazy than than the existence we had before where we were just, you know, unhappy and separate and and my husband was missing out on his children growing up and actually that felt a lot crazier than than living in the tent. And yeah, as you said, our, our parents were, were supportive. Mine were a bit worried. I think they they thought something terrible might befall us. But but when you look at it rationally, we were on campsites for the majority of the year. Um people go camping on campsites with kids all the time and you don't often hear about anything terrible happening to them. So so we kind of rationalized it and thought, you know, it's it's not actually something objectively dangerous that we're doing and we're doing it in a very safe way we've got lots of lots of kit and and we're thinking everything through so we did it as safely as we could but yes I think people once they understand the story are they do understand whereas the initial response to living in a tent for a year with a baby and a toddler is is one of kind of craziness yeah 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 then kind of embarking on this story and you mentioned that already that the financial situation was quite difficult, but you also reflect that there you've had this longing for adventures and that you have a background in all sorts of adventure sports, very long events, fell running in different places and so on. So there was also this positive sense of opportunities for adventure, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. And um, before we had kids, we you know, we did a lot of rock climbing, adventure racing, um, ultra marathons, that kind of thing. Uh, regularly lived lived in a tent for weeks at a time. So, and we met working in a climbing shop while we were at university. So we also had plenty of plenty of kit from from those days. So, yeah, it was something that was it was a lifestyle that was, you know, something we were very familiar and comfortable with, um, and and we missed. You know, it's quite hard to to both keep doing that. So. A lot of my friends stopped when they had babies and I, I tried to carry on, but it's it's really difficult. And yeah, again, a lot of my friends' husbands carried on doing the adventurous adventurous things, uh, leaving them behind. So you kind of have to make make decisions about what what works and what you're happy to accept, I guess, when, once the little ones come along and, and what, what sacrifices you make and whether you leave them behind or take them with you or take it in turns and nowadays that we live a, a more shared life we do take it in turns so um that's been a really big thing that's come out of it is that we we take it in turns to to go out for our long runs and um yeah it's much more equal now mm-hmm. yeah this is a really uh, important theme that actually in this podcast we haven't discussed so much so having a family having children becoming a mother and you also reflect on the book that that was quite a big change for you being used to doing this big long sporting events and then you have two small children who are fully dependent on you can you maybe just share a bit on this identity change was it difficult for you to let go of these things on the other hand you got something quite big important in your life in return so it must have been quite a different change for you in your life having been really like a high level athlete actually yeah yeah it certainly was it was uh, a big change, and after my daughter was born, we we were actually we we moved up to stay with my husband's parents for a bit, um, to write our first book, and so that was kind of a taste of kind of this shared way of living. We had we I had much more support. We had um, 
my mother-in-law there so she looked after my daughter and I was able to go and kind of discover fell running really we were in the middle of the peak district and it was yeah I, I was kind of really keen to get straight back into running after my daughter was born it was almost almost proving that that just because I was a mum now I wasn't I hadn't lost that identity that I had before she was born so um, I think I was really maybe got back into it a bit soon <laughs> got a few injuries as a result of that but then once once I had two it's much harder um, and we were also we didn't have any support so I'd gone from a place where I actually started doing a PhD before my son was born and had to drop out of that because I just couldn't juggle the childcare and the PhD um, and so I kind of had this sense of failure about that and um, losing you know, my fitness and my that that identity as a as a distance runner that had always been so much a part of who I was that wasn't something I could do anymore. Um, and those social circles that you know you become part of yourself when you're a climber and a runner and and that kind of thing. And and because that was no longer me, I felt I wasn't part of those groups anymore. So it was definitely a sense of everything that I'd known falling away a bit. And I guess the the embarking on the tent life was a way of trying to claim that back and then since coming back to doing a PhD again you know, it was something that I thought well now isn't the time back then but but coming back to it, it's been a really good experience as well. Mm -hmm. And then if we reflect a little bit on the writing process that you had on this book so it's very highly personal kind of sharing these stories of your life and kind of the difficulties you had and what led to you this adventure and you mentioned you already started a PhD before I uh, didn't finish that one but then now you are working on a PhD project with all, which also involves this autoethnographic element so kind of writing and reflecting on your and analyzing your personal experiences so also having this academic background and then you're writing this book was it difficult in terms of sometimes becoming too analytical in terms of what you're writing or how did you feel about the process and then now looking back are you looking into it with this critical lens in terms of which story you are telling and what alternatives are there? Yeah, definitely. I think so my my background was in well I started out as a as a podiatrist so that was very clinical and went into bio, biomechanics so very different from what I'm doing now and I think when when the children were born and I, I was was more um looking at biomechanics then I began to have all these questions about you know what these, these runners were, were getting injured that I was studying and I wanted to know about that experience rather than about the forces and things that were happening and I think that was a, a gradual process and I think it's something that's happened with my writing as well so writing guidebooks is quite it's very factual it's you can kind of hide behind the facts a bit so it's all about it's all about what with with our running guidebooks especially it's it's partly about the experience of running somewhere but it's very much about the kind of the geology and the, the nature and the, the history of of where you're running so then trying to write something that was a memoir and was a lot more personal it was a very difficult kind of um headspace to get into and I I had to work with editors because I think when I first wrote it quite a lot of it was a bit too much like a guidebook so the places we'd gone I'd kind of gone at it like a guidebook <laughs> uh -huh. um, so I had to be encouraged to overshare a bit more and fortunately I'd kept journals at the time had lots of photos and things so I had thought that the process of writing it would just be basically putting the blogs and things I'd done together but actually 
I really had to go back in and, and try and work out what it had all meant in order to to write it in a much more personal way. And I think the same journey has happened with where I'm at with research and my research interests, rather than kind of looking at the, you know, the, the, the external things. I want to know what's going on in, <laughs> internally a bit and, and get a bit deeper in into the subject. So, yeah, I think that that, that process has been really interesting on both fronts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so now you've done in the past year been working on your PhD project. And as I mentioned in the introduction, it's a phenomenological study on becoming a runner. And from your own background, you're an experienced runner. Being a runner has been an important part of who you are for a very long time. So very often people kind of focus on what is familiar to them. It would have been very easy for you, I guess, to go into doing a PhD on adventure racing or fell running in a more advanced level or any of these things. But then you've decided that you want to look in your research into these novice runners who are just starting to run and who have all these challenges. Can you maybe just share a little bit like how did the interest, how did you develop this interest into this process that seems to be very distant for you from where you are in your sporting life? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I've, like running's always been important really important to me and almost to the point where I've done it for so long now I almost don't understand it like I think it's it's something that's just it's I do it every day I don't I feel much better if I've been for a run <laughs> and and it's so it's so familiar to me that I don't I don't really understand what it means to be a runner for me in a way I think there's kind of an attraction to looking at people who are becoming runners to shine a light on that like as part of what I want to do is to understand what running what it means to me to be a runner by looking at people who are not runners and then going through that running journey and I think that's part of part of what I want to look at but also I think starting out as a as a clinician and helping people who are just getting going and running and and suffering from injuries and I became really interested in in that that journey they were they were going through and you know you especially in January beginning of the year you see people out running and and it's so hard to know you look at them running and it's so hard to know how they're feeling how that how that's being experienced by them as they go through that journey from being you know either starting out again after a short time off or perhaps having never run before and my dad's taken up running quite late on in life and I've, I've found that really fascinating he's in his 70s and he's discovering running for the first time so he hasn't got this like narrative of decline that that many perhaps lifelong or elite runners have. Yeah. So everything he does when he does a half marathon, it's a PB for him. Like he's he's doing better in his seventies than he ever has done before at something. And I think that's really exciting as well. This kind of discovery of of new possibilities. And yeah, so I became really fascinated in sort of what happens our, our perception of of our kind of surroundings, our environment, both both the physical environment and the social environment as we go through the process of becoming a runner and and how you know I might look at I might stand next to a, somebody who doesn't run and what I see as available in a landscape as a an experienced runner might be completely different to somebody who's never run before um and yeah I just really interested in that journey of how how that perception of what's available 
to somebody in in their environment both social environment cultural environment and physical environment changes as you keep practicing running and gradually become you know the runner that you're that these these people I'm looking at are trying to become so yeah that that was kind of the the starting point <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and you are now moving ahead with your with your research so conceptualizing designing the different parts of the study and and kind of looking in doing some initial work looking at the data as well so it's quite early stages but you are now having quite a more clear idea of what you want to do all the time so I wonder how this you mentioned starting a PhD and then dropping out of that because it didn't fit your life. So what led you to kind of now wanting to pursue it again? And so how does it then, you're not, I guess, the typical PhD student in terms of many finish their master's and then go directly into this, whereas you have all your guidebooks, memoir that you've just written, and all the other experience, and now going for a PhD. So how have you experienced it this time? Yeah, I think of I was sort of a late starter going to university in the first place. Kind of, I think I was a bit written off at school with academia, and and took a few years out, and then decided to go back and do do A levels and and actually go to university. So I didn't go until my mid twenties. So then I I did my degree and went went on and did a masters in sport and exercise medicine. And then yeah, the plan was to pretty much carry on straight on to a PhD, but because I'd started later, and then had the children and yeah, it just I just couldn't balance both things so yeah I think I was always aware that I might come back and and do that again you know it's partly it's it is a bit of unfinished business it's something that I hadn't done but also gradually these this idea that I wanted to kind of go over to the qualitative side as well and, and explore that more and became really fascinated with with the experience of being a runner and discovered phenomenology and and kind of hoped that I could bring those those things together and then um yeah once the kids are a little bit older now they're a bit more independent and you know I've written a few books and I just got to the point in life when I thought actually it's this is possible now and I need to do it part-time and also the government has brought out doctoral loans which have been a complete game changer for me so it's just like a student loan but to pay for a, for a PhD and that wasn't available um, until fairly recently. So for kind of older older people wanting to go back into a PhD who can't necessarily either get funding or, or self-fund, that that was really important to me as well and, and made it possible. So um, yeah, kind of all those things coming together. Really. Yeah, that's amazing. And so the story in the book is now a few years ago, but it's now very fresh because the book is coming out and you've done all the interviews for the newspapers as well. And so if you look back at it now, how do you feel about this one different year? How does it kind of fit in your biography? And uh, I don't want to kind of offer this. I had a a podcast with Ross Wadey earlier and he talks about this growth following adversity narratives. I'm not saying it was adversity, but people are usually expecting that you somehow change when you have some experiences that kind of stand out from the ordinary. So I don't want to push that narrative that how did you change, but maybe just reflecting how how do you look back at that time and and how does it fit with your with your broader biography? Yeah, I think it, it definitely is one of those moments, like I, I suppose like a boundary event type type thing. But I think not necessarily the year itself. I think the financial crisis that I had, that, that we had, um, 
was the event that pushed us to do something differently. So I think we were aware we were unhappy and that this wasn't, you know, we were spending all our time separately working really hard and, and not having anything to show for it, having a life that was, you know, lacking in the meaning that we wanted it to have. And, and so I think it was that kind of looming financial endpoint that was the, that was that turning point rather than the year itself. Um, and I think the, the year itself was the start of, so I suppose I see that as this turning point and the, the year itself was the start of the rest of my life to date in a way. And I think I've had a couple of those kind of points. Like I had a big car crash in my early twenties, um, before which I was doing rubbish jobs and, you know, partying too much and that kind of thing. And, and after the car crash, I had to, you know, I was, I couldn't run. I could barely walk and it took a long time to recover from that. And that really made me realize the, you know, the preciousness of the body and, and how much we have that we don't realize we have in our, in our kind of physical abilities that we're so lucky to have. And, and I suddenly realized that I couldn't waste, <laughs> waste my life anymore. And that was a turning point again and a point that made me start running. And that was when I went back and did my A levels and went, went to university and things. So I think kind of that was a real point in my early 20s and then this point in my mid 30s so I think I really got those two things you know when you kind of look back on on life at really poignant moments that really make a difference to what happens afterwards I think those two really stand out um and I was thinking about this I don't want any more (laughs) I think both of those things kind of had really good outcomes um but you know when you think maybe maybe that's enough boundary events (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> how did you feel back then coming back to the so-called normal life and living in a house again and and so forth yeah it was really it was really interesting so we moved into the tent in the november and then a year later was the end of our official wild year um but actually nothing changed so we had to spend another winter in the tent because it was quite hard to find somewhere to rent again so we were by the time the year finished we were almost at the point where we just signed our second book deal we got got enough work so we were almost at the point where we could pay rent again but doing something we loved doing rather than the the previous way of life um but yeah it took it took the whole of the next winter to actually find somewhere that would take us as tenants and um I think so that was a really hard winter because we were just homeless then you know we we weren't on this big challenge anymore um we weren't able to frame it like that anymore so we were just um you know trying not to we 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 camped when we could and and stayed with family and things and tried not to overimpose on any one place but it was really hard not having privacy and that kind of thing so it took quite a long time to be back in a house and feel normal (laughs) like life was normal again but when that did happen it was quite amazing and it like I think we still haven't it's six years on now and I think we still haven't quite got used to it in a way like I still appreciate things like being able to switch the kettle on and not have to walk across the field to go to the toilet in the night and just little things that that are so become so much part of life in a tent but at the same time I think you lose a lot so we're so insulated in our house and when you live in a tent you know you're just so immersed in everything that's going on so the birds wake you up in the morning the light wakes you up like you have to live according to the rhythms of light and dark and and noise and that kind of thing so yeah I think 
we had the windows open for a long time, even <laughs> even over the winter, just just to kind of keep that connection that we got so used to, because it felt muffled and stuffy inside the house. So things like that were quite interesting. But yeah, I think I still appreciate the kind of the little things that you just get used to when you have when you live a more normal life. I think. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. Okay, thanks so much for sharing the stories. I don't want to go further into the details of the book because I didn't read it yet and I don't want to, you to reveal too much uh, to the listeners as well. So the book is called The Wild Year. And so by the time this is out, then it's, the book is also published and available. The ebook was also already available. And so let's finish up for our first part of the conversation. In the second part, we'll look more de- into detail In your PhD project, we'll discuss phenomenology and we'll discuss the experiences of these novice runners as they start their journey in becoming a runner. So thank you so much for the conversation, Jen. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes. So be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.